It's Wednesday, May 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Wednesday, gents. Happy Wednesday. The award winning Chris Hill. I said that earlier. That's exactly right. For, earlier today or earlier on the podcast? For the listeners. Well, earlier today uh, the, on a different podcast. On the EP Weekly right. podcast. For the listeners who don't now know. Now you're making stuff up. <laughs> the EP so Weekly our, podcast. Uh, uh, our, this is now a Hall of Fame. Our Motley host. Fool One service has a weekly podcast, the Everlasting Portfolio okay. Weekly. And so we taped EP Weekly uh, this morning. And Jason. And was um, it all about your award? No. No. Because really, now our listeners are really confused. This is a humble guy right here, I tell you. <laughs> I know. Uh, he deflects he's, he's the conversation off very quickly. Let's move on, shall we? Because because we uh, we well, do that, have that they want to know about this. Award so at, that you keep at, talking about <laughs> <laughs> at uh, our annual meeting last week, uh, I was delightfully surprised to learn that I had been voted into the Motley Fool Hall of Fame. Um, which is an award that that is now, given is out every year in, in at the Cooperstown, New York. Where is the? Hall it's of right Fame here located? in Alexandria, Virginia, in our lobby. <laughs> in our lobby. Um, Do tourists come to Alexandria no, to see the? It's Monty not like Cole Cooperstown. It's not like Canton, Ohio. It's not like Springfield, Massachusetts, for the Basketball Hall of Fame. They no. will stumble across those signs posted out in the lobby. So if, what, and what if you're are visiting you, HQ, you what are you it. contributing to the Hall of Fame as a like a memorial or a memento? Or I don't know that like, I'm supposed to contribute anything. Like a writing pad? Instead or, of a statue, know, a, it should just be a permanent soundbite, right? Uh, fortunately for me, it's just my name on a wall. I don't have I, to contribute I think there should start being you know things that the tourists can come look at. You need at. like a Chris Hill catchphrase. <laughs> kind of like, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, SodaStream. Let's dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with I a think comment. that's the catchphrase. Exactly. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about. Um, a question we got on MarketFoolery, uh, on Twitter, uh, at uh, MarketFoolery. This was tweeted to us from Andrew Flam, who wrote, no talk or opinions the past few days about the potential acquisition of DirecTV by AT&T? What gives? What gives is we were just waiting for a little How prodding. do you get into the Hall of Fame <laughs> dropping balls like this? I know, exactly. Uh, if you hadn't heard the news, AT&T is reportedly in advanced talks to buy DirecTV for somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 billion. This is obviously a massive acquisition if this happens. And when this news first broke earlier in the week, shares of AT&T were, were down a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious, and Bill, I'll just start with you, what you think of this deal? Because one analyst I saw uh, a comment was essentially AT&T is running out of wireless customers, and so they're looking for growth. This is an opportunity for growth, a way to bundle more services, but it comes at a pretty hefty price tag. It would, yeah. I mean, DirecTV is a pretty valuable commodity. You're not going to get it for a discount. And I I think the bundling of services is something. I, do we all have bundled services in, in this area right now, just as a you know data set of three? We're pretty bundled. I mean, we have Fios, which is, a, you know, it's bundled. I mean, our wireless is separate, but it is still Verizon. I have so. Comcast, cable, and uh, internet access. So, yeah, that's bundled. Yeah. And you? Uh, yes, uh, Fios. But I, but an AT&T DirecTV thing would be something I would consider, you know, moving to. I would certainly, you, you're still with Comcast? My God, I pity you. <laughs> 
We've, we've gone like? over this before. He, I, he I harbors have... a little resentment, you know, because the, the Fios is not available where he lives. Oh, unfortunately. But if, but if this, to your point, if although this the be- Hall of Fame may change, that, <laughs> then they if this becomes maybe. available. Yeah. Th- I would absolutely consider this. Well, that's what they're hoping for. That's why they're considering spending $50 billion because, you know, there are a lot of dissatisfied customers of all of the services out there. So they're, uh, customers are amazingly, you know, valuable to have because for the most part, as much as you can't stand the service you get with Comcast, how long have you had it? God, over a decade at least. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it never ends un- unless you, you take some sort of active step, and then whoever you wind up with next will probably have you for a you know, similar period of time. So the customer accounts are, are enormously valuable, and, and with the bundling, you're getting so many different streams of revenue, and AT&T does not have that kind of you know, video uh, name, I don't know, what, what do they provide? Well, one of the things I learned yesterday, I was talking with Mike Olson about this, and he, he mentioned AT&T has a video service. I guess so. And yeah. I said, okay, they're doing a great job of keeping that a secret. Yeah. Yeah. They have about 5 million customers. I mean, I think that's it. You look at, you have people like, like Bill and myself who would sit there and say, well, we like our you know, Verizon relationship. You have that sort of bundle there with your with your internet service and, and your video service and and so, I mean, I think AT&T sees a lot of, of value in that and be able to, to create happy customers. If you can give a customer a choice, at least, because, yeah, you've had Comcast for a decade at least, but you seem like you'd be pretty happy to switch. I'd certainly consider <laughs> so, the opportunity yeah. to so, I mean, What do you think Comcast thinks of this? Do you think they look at this and think this is bad for us because more competition? Or do you think, oh, good, this will take a little bit of the heat off the f- that we're getting in terms of the Time Warner acquisition, and suddenly we're less of a behemoth if all of a sudden AT and T goes out and buys Directv. Uh, it probably depends which part of the company you're talking about in Comcast, because you know they're they're you know in some departments they're going to be looking at it you know the way you're talking about. Let's go right to the top. Brian Roberts, CEO of Comcast. You think he is happy about this, sad about this, or neutral? Uh neutral because. Things like this are always happening. There is constantly competition. I don't think Comcast is expecting that AT and T or Verizon are going to stand still. You know, people keep uh, coming up with new plans to create their own content, uh, bundle in slightly different ways. So, you know, I, I think that it is very meaningful, but I doubt that he, you know, gets bent out of shape one way or the other uh, when you know a new. Uh, combination is is floated by in, in the press. If AT and T buys Directv, I really hope the first order of business is eliminating those horrific television commercials that Directv is running with the marionettes. Ugh. Those things are just creepy. They are. They just and they need to stop. Yeah. I, they, if you're Sprint, I think you're happy about Directv's marionette ads because it takes heat off of Sprint for their awful family. <laughs> Ads, also an abomination. <laughs> SodaStream first quarter results are in revenue in the U.S. down twenty eight percent. Fortunately, Jason, Europe is looking a lot better for SodaStream than results in the U.S. Yeah, I mean that's that's been the story with SodaStream since you know we've we've been covering it here is that it's always been an international uh, play, but the emerging market for them was actually domestically here for us in the United States and. And they've they've just not done a very good job of really telling that story. I mean, they they are having a big problem getting those 
machines into people's homes. And we saw last holiday season uh, where the performance was less than stellar. So there was no reason to believe that this quarter was going to be much better. Uh, and, and they delivered. I mean, it, it was, you know, sales sales here in the United States down, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 uh, percent. They're making up for it a little bit in the sale of the consumables, particularly the CO2 refills. And that's the highest margin item for them, which is great. Uh, the problem, though, is that you're not going to be selling a lot of those refills if you can't get those machines into people's homes. And then you you tack on to that the news yesterday from Keurig Green Mountain and Coca-Cola, where Coca-Cola is upping that stake to the full 16% option that they had. I mean, that that certainly validates the market. It also validates what Coke believes will be a good product. And I think that's the thing that's pretty interesting here is that for all of the excitement Keurig saw yesterday in the market, I mean, this is still a product that is yet to be even introduced. Like, I mean, it's still completely feasible that it won't be successful, uh, although I, I have to believe they put some pretty good research into this to, to, to actually make that kind of investment into Keurig. Uh, but again, I mean, this is something where Keurig is taking that, that mind share, that sort of headline share away from SodaStream so that all we hear now is the new Keurig machine that's going to be coming out. And I mean, Keurig has a reputation, at least, because they've they've established themselves well as as, as those the single-serve coffee makers. I mean, that, that's a, a good device. It's very successful in sort of that razor and blade model where you keep on selling those consumables. And, uh, you know, for SodaStream, it would be very much the same thing, but they're just not, they're not witnessing the same success. And, and I can't help but wonder with SodaStream – if they're not facing a bit of, you know, we're seeing this this sort of decline in soda consumption. It's slow, but it's there, at least domestically here. Uh, I, I mean, I just don't know that people are are eager to get a soda machine in their home today, or at least as eager as they might have been five years ago. Um, but but I mean, I think the bottom line here really is that SodaStream needs a deal. I mean, they need they need a deal with a Pepsi or a Dr Pepper Snapple or. Starbucks or something like that to help validate what they're doing because as it stands right now they they are they are running in second place. Do either of you have either one of these machines, a Soto Stream or a Keurig or any sort of like single serve? Because Starbucks I think also makes a and sells a, a single serve. Do you? Uh, I bought my parents a Keurig a couple Christmases ago or something like that, and they so that's the only place that I generally come in contact with. I, you know, other than the hotels and uh actually you see it in in many places but i i've never bought one for myself because it as convenient as it is it doesn't it's not price uh it's not the right model for me because i drink about 64 to 80 ounces of coffee a day right which when you're you know using their their system it gets really expensive you'd be bankrupt in a month like for most people brewing a pot of coffee doesn't make sense just for themselves but for me it does right so i do frequently (laughs) yeah i'm right there i mean for just like bill i mean coffee in our houses, it's about volume. I mean, we go through a pot a day easily, and that's you know just in the morning. Um, my parents also have a Keurig, and they like it for that occasional one cup in the evening or in the afternoon or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just for us, it would be cost effective. The Soda Stream seems as convenient as I suppose it is, slightly more inconvenient than than the you know K cups, where you just it, it press one button and and you know put the cup on it you've got to 
collect the soda stream into like another you know bottle and then yeah you know, and then I mean it's, gotta, it's which some interesting... I mean this is pathetic I you know <laughs> to to find this to be too much work but it, it is. Well, then you got to get the CO two cartridge refilled when it runs out. Again, this and, I mean, is pathetic. This is, yeah. But you know, I mean, who wants to does, get up and actually go do is something? More work. It on is SodaStream than than you know. If SodaStream can figure out that last mile, like you, you have a you know a propane it's grill, not for even example, a mile. It's a last foot. <laughs> it's a last. It's just. If they could have those CO two cartridges delivered, you know that would be really. You could do that with a grill tank. And then if they could have somebody actually run the machine Come in there and for you, that bad so boy you didn't up have for to like but, and wash the bottle <laughs> and all. I mean, but to go back to the to your point, Jason, about the Coca Cola investment in Keurig and this machine, which has not yet been unveiled, I have to believe that the people inside the company are saying, "Look, whatever this machine is, it has to be every bit as easy to operate." As the K cups are with coffee, well, it has I, uh, to yeah, be I the imagine. soda equivalent of that. Yeah, because I yes, it has to be. Well, you're right. All of this is pathetic. It's also all true. Well, yeah. but see, the other thing about this this curing machine is that it's going to be the carbonation is actually part of the pod, part of the cup. So, I mean, you have to at least ask the question: There is the quality of the Coke or Sprite or whatever you're making. Is it going to be the same? Are they going to be able to achieve that that same level of, of quality there? Because, I mean, that's that's really the point of the carbonated beverage, right? It's the carbonation. And if the carbonation sucks, well, I can't imagine this right. thing takes hold at all. Yeah. Few things are, are worse to consume than flat soda. That's why we don't consume it. A question from Andrew Lean in Montrose, Minnesota. Curious if any of you follow Craft Brew Alliance or have any ideas why it's down around 25% since mid-February. Their news seems good to me. Uh, this was on Twitter, so he included the hashtag, beer is good. Uh, not going to argue with that. For those who don't know, Craft Brew Alliance is uh, just what it sounds like, an alliance of small craft brewers, Red Hook, Kona Brewing, Widmer Brothers, and Omission Beer, which I had never heard of before. Omission's the gluten-free They're the gluten-free option, beer. Yeah. You've looked into Craft Brew Alliance a little yeah. bit. What's what's going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a company I've been following since November, and it's a it's a neat little company. I mean, I think that that's the operative word, though. It, it is little, um, and I mean, along you know, along with the fact that we've just seen a general pullback in, in small cap stocks recently. I mean, uh, Craft Brew Alliance is it's smaller, so I, I think you compare it to something like a Boston beer to get a better idea of sort of. You know where they stand in in this in this space, and when you look at the numbers, Boston Beer brings in versus what Craft Brew Alliance brings in. I mean, you can see the reasons why Boston Beer's stock is is priced for perfection, and, and Craft Brew is, you know, not, not left for dead, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly down from the the wonderful 2013 it had. Uh, depletions, I think, is is something that is worth looking at, and depletions is is the rate that beer. Uh, leaves the distributor's warehouse en route to the retailers and, and eventually to us, the drinkers. And so when you look at Boston Beer, for example, this this most recent quarter, Boston Beer grew their depletions rate by 34%. Craft Brew Alliance grew theirs by 8 uh, So a significant difference there. Boston Beer is certainly growing their top-line sales at a fast rate. The other thing to remember, too, is that Craft Brew Alliance, it, it's, because it's a small company, it has, it has fewer shares outstanding. There's only about 19 million shares outstanding. Less than half of those shares actually trade on the open market. So it's, it, it's subject to bigger swings, certainly. Uh, and then to top that off, 
uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev actually owns about a third of the shares outstanding of this company, which I think is actually pretty interesting just from the perspective that I think at some point Anheuser-Busch InBev is going to buy Craft Brew Alliance and just tuck it into its portfolio of, of brands there. But, um, you know, I think one thing they released here in the most recent quarter, which was interesting to see, is they're going to be spending more on marketing and advertising, trying to get the name out there. Because, because Boston Beer, we know, is Samuel Adams. Craft Brew Alliance is a collection of names that maybe people aren't quite so familiar with. Uh, the one that's kind of, I guess they call it a lifestyle sort of a beer, is Kona. That's the Hawaiian uh, name that they have in their portfolio. And they're going to spend, I think, a lot more to advertise to get that name out there because it is a little, it is a little bit different. Um, and then, you know, they are also responsible for brewing the the Game Changer uh, house beer for Buffalo Wild Wings. So that's a great relationship that they have right there. And, and that's a beer that's been received very well by Buffalo Wild Wings uh, patrons. Um, I've tried it. It's it's not bad at all. Uh, so I think that more relations, relationships like that will, will certainly help. But it's just a smaller company. It's a slower grower. And uh, it came off a banner 2013. The stock was up like 125%. So. Yeah, the stock was up 153% yeah. during 2013. So uh, as with many, many other companies that uh, and stocks that, that became momentum plays, whether there was a business reason that justified um, some uh, or all of a, of a move like that in, in terms of the stock, uh, you've got a calendar year move like that tends to be followed by a pullback in the stock price. And that's... Uh, you know the nature of of things getting a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of this company and its its financials. You know it it is a, a very small in terms of of its profits uh, currently. You know this is a company that makes you know about one or two you know million dollars a year of, of net income um, and uh, is is it about four million right now? So you know it's got operations that are spread around uh, among. Nice places to visit, uh, which I worry about as as a potential shareholder. That you know, how much is management uh, looking to own uh, brands in places that it is delighted to have to go out and check out a couple of times a year? <laughs> got to uh, get out to Kona. Got to get out to Kona. Oh, you <laughs> know, it's, it's, uh, it's got to get out to New Hampshire and and Seattle, Portland, and Kona. <laughs> I, I like the idea of working for that company yeah. um, and and having to be on top of all that. But uh, uh, it, it's done very well, and I'm not to take anything away from it. Um, and it's uh, uh, making fine products, but it, it is at a size where uh, small pieces of bad news uh, could impact the stock dramatically. As we get closer to the official start of summer, is there a summer beer that you – look for when you are out shopping this time of year or a, a summer beverage that you turn to? I'm not a beer drinker, so I don't have a summer beer, but what do you look for in the summertime that's maybe different from the winter? Cold. Cold beer. Just just cold. It, it doesn't yeah. matter as long as it's cold. <laughs> as long as it's cold. It's free. I find to be a really good part of, of a beer experience. For our listeners, great. you're not going to recommend a summer beer or a summer beverage? Uh, I think uh, I'm going to look to Jason to start that because I wasn't I wasn't prepared ahead of time <laughs> with that, and I, I I'm really drinking more wine than beer these days. I try not to get too snooty with with the beer recommendations here. So, uh, so you're down with the free. I, yeah, free <laughs> is terrific. Find you know, when, that when, free beer. When, when you find that, you you run with it. Uh, I I am always excited to see Samuel Adams Summer Ale. 
uh, come out because that is a good indicator that it is in fact summer, and that's a good beer. Uh, and then I would also I would also say our local port city uh, here they have a great uh, an American Essential Pale Ale that that is really a, a good light summer beer, um, not too light, you know, but it's it's those are two that I think are affordable and uh, and uh, really good options. I find that in warm weather, a gin and tonic goes down quite oh. nicely. I don't. I I can probably count on one hand the number of uh, uh, gin and tonics that I consume in a given calendar year. But that's because you're from Maine. You but, don't know what warm weather is like. Well, now that I live in Virginia, I do know what warm weather is like. That's so. a good point. I think I had about four last year. They were yeah. all four at the beach house on the Outer Banks last summer. So yeah, it's yeah. a good summer drink at well, at the ballpark. That's where I think you know listeners should be focusing their their summer beer drinking. So that, like Coors Light. Unfortunately, for some places, that is what you're going to find. Yeah. But, you know, at, at Nats Park, where they'll, you know, find a, a lot of expensive things to sell you, they, they've got some, some local brands. Uh, you know, they, they, they was out there recently. There was a long rain delay, and I got a chance to, you know, have a few beers. Sample <laughs> some of the wares at Nats yeah. Park. <laughs> All right, Bill Barker. Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Go to FoolFunds.com. Check out Declarations, the free monthly newsletter from Bill Barker and his colleagues. That's FoolFunds.com. You can go. Give them your email address. And uh, can I plug something? If you're a shareholder, vote your proxy shares. That's right. There's a vote going on. Are you allowed to... Go into detail. Tell them what, how to vote. (laughs) I'm not allowed to tell them how to vote. But as an American... I'm allowed to encourage people to vote. Okay. And, you know, that, that they should, if they are shareholders, there's, there's a vote going on right now. It involves uh, the, uh, you know, the shares and, and the uh, expenses of the shares. And uh, so a shareholder should be voting on that. And we truly now, are not, we're, <laughs> we're not trying to be cagey. There are federal regulations that uh, limit what uh, Bill, or for that matter, any of us can actually say about this. But I guess what I would say is you're really going to want to vote on this one. This is not the typical – a, a lot of stuff that you get uh, as a shareholder for a public company, that sort of thing. The proxy, it's like, oh, it's boards of directors. That no, you're, we you're, got a board of directors vote on this one too. Yeah. What are you, why are you belittling Carl? <laughs> he's, he's on our board. People should vote for him to be on our board. As always, people on the But wait, room. you just told people to vote like that. So, <laughs> wait, you need to let, – let's uh, – yeah, we're, we're Bill wasn't really telling you how to vote. He was just saying if. As were. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Nats fan extraordinaire Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.